Welcome, listeners, to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. Um, on our podcast today, joining me via Zoom, Zoom's awesome, is my friend Taylor Smith, who lives in Maryland. Welcome to the podcast, Taylor. Thanks, Richard. Glad to be here and grateful for the opportunity to talk with you again. Your, and your, your podcast has definitely been a you know, place of refuge and solace for me at times, and and I, I know, I hope, I guess, I guess I hope I can pay it forward and that, you know, some things that we talk about today can do the same for someone else out there that's listening. I like those words, refuge and solace. So thank you. I appreciate the guests that come on the podcast that provide that for others. Um, Taylor was on episode 415. It was a podcast between Taylor, who was then and still is a uh Latter-day Saint that's attending church and his friend, Dason Harker, who is not attending church and is no longer a believer, to use that language, if that's okay, and just talking about the common ground um, they found in their friendship. But this will be um, a completely different episode with Taylor talking about giving, he gave a talk that I loved last September in his ward. He sent me a copy and just thought it'd be a terrific talk for our listeners to hear. So um, I'm just inviting you to, I guess we're going, well, it's not really going back to September of 22 in your ward, but um, it's just a chance to hear what you shared in, in your ward that I thought was a great gospel-based principles approach to um, helping others and um, better bring us together as Zion. So is that okay for an introduction, Taylor? Yeah, definitely. I'll turn it to you to go for it. Okay. Um, well, I guess this is a little bit of a background about me. Um, you know, both my wife and I were born in Southern Alberta, Canada. Our first four children were also born there. And then our youngest daughter, Avery, uh, she was born in Utah while I was attending BYU. Anyways, we moved out to Maryland about 10 years ago uh, after I graduated. Uh, when I was in Canada, I worked as a carpenter. I framed houses and and now currently work as a uh, superintendent for a general contractor out here, you know, which basically, basically means now I just watch people work instead of, you know, doing it myself. Um, you know, we really love it out here. We, we, we bought our first house out here uh, a couple years ago and uh, we've, we've enjoyed working on some home improvement projects and really making it our own and, you know, plan, planning on staying here uh, for the long term. Um, I guess beyond that, now to just kind of jump into what I wanted to, uh, talk about today is that you know I wanted to talk about the word truth, um, and but perhaps in a way that maybe maybe we've heard reference, but maybe have not really thought about that deeply before. And and I guess more specifically about how when we recognize quote unquote truth in others and, and have pure empathy that you know as that as we do that the scriptures teach us that you know that the truth will set us free. Um, yeah, I, I definitely don't, I guess up front, I just want to say, I definitely don't see myself as any type of, uh, you know, expert or have any definitive answers on things, um, you know, even, even remotely. <laughs> um, but I just, you know, I just, you know, the, the ideas that I'm sharing are, you know, things that I'm working towards myself, but at the end of the day, just, I don't know, felt like there was a message that that perhaps uh, might be a benefit to others. And I hope it is. But if it's not, that's that's OK, too. Um, you know, I also believe that, you know, some of these uh, thoughts and feelings that I have can help, you know, help us take steps 
um, you know, as a church to help reconcile some of the some of the ideological divide that we experience. And, and maybe, you know, some of it I think is pretty clear and some of it might be more subtle or maybe we don't really recognize what the root cause of it is. It's easy to kind of, you know, ident- try and identify what that cause is. And, you know, this is you know certainly not a silver bullet or, you know, the one thing that's going to fix that, but I feel like um, having some of these principles could help, could help us make a step in the right direction. Um, to becoming a more, you know, Zion-like people. So in his talk, What is Truth? Uh, Dieter F. Uchtdorf, uh, he relayed a, a poem entitled The Blind Man and the Elephant, and it was based on a, an ancient parable, and I'll read a little part of it. It reads, Six men of Indostan, to learning much inclined, who went to see the elephant, though all of them were blind, that each by observation might satisfy his mind. And some of you may be familiar with that when you reference it or from that poem from other sources. But as the poem continues, the six men each grab onto a different part of the elephant. And then they describe to each other, you know, what, what they're, what they're feeling and what they discovered. The first man, you know, he's holding on to the elephant's leg and he describes it as round and rough, um, like a tree. Another man has the tusk, you know, he describes it as a spear Third man grabs the tail and insists that an elephant is like a rope. And then the fourth discovers the trunk and describes it like a large snake. Um, Anyways, the poem concludes, and so these men of Indostan disputed loud and long, each in his own opinion, exceeding stiff and strong, though each was partly in the right and all all were in the wrong. You know, and... In his talk, President Uchtdorf, uh, he wanted to elaborate that, you know, each of these characters was describing truth. And because their experience, um, from their personal experience, uh, each insisted that their view was correct and that the, that the other was wrong. But, but like, the, like the blind man, I think so often what we see as truth uh, individually is only a fragment or portion. And so when the, you know, the opinions or perspectives of, perspectives of others contradict that and you know instead of considering the possibility that you know maybe they have additional information or perspective that might be helpful helpful or complement what we know uh, it's you know it's kind of easy to jump to conclusions um and make assumptions about others so so i think even within even within our own church um you know despite our desire and our quest to be one and i, I think we all I'm sure have the underlying desire. Um, but there's so much diversity in our experiences and opinions. And, you know, even with, even with, uh, you know, on beliefs on doctrinal topics, um, I remember as a missionary, you know, we'd always talk about that scripture about coming to the unity of faith. And I often kind of thought about that. Oh, you know, when we all become Mormons or when we all, you know, see things the same way. And, you know, my, my, my understanding or, or take on that has definitely, you know, evolved. Um, it has, has evolved since then. And I think that, you know, a very important question, I guess, related to this, this concept of truth is, you know, which of the differences that we experience or, or see, you know, which ones are about right versus wrong and, and which ones are simply due to the different perspectives, you know, cause I, in my experience, I think that, more often than not, most disagreements are not a matter of right and wrong. 
um, but simply a difference in perspective. You know, basically two people could be standing just as close to the elephant. They can see it just as clearly. Um, yet because they're looking from a different angle, they, they each see a different part. And so one perspective is not more right uh, than the other, but each person, their, you know, their truth, their perspective is, is limited only to that part uh, that they can see. So, you know, in the end they can, they can both be right, just different. Um, I don't know. I know maybe you've heard Richard or people out there probably heard that example of the, the capital T truth versus the small T truth um, or a, a lowercase T. I guess to kind of apply that to this would be that the capital T truth is, is the whole elephant. Um, it's the, you know, the sum total of all the, of all the perspectives and all the parts of the elephant, but the lower, uh, the lowercase T truth is just the individual perspectives. Um, I'll, I'll kind of talk more about that later on, but just kind of wanted to lay that out there uh, just as kind of a groundwork. So, um, <clears throat> to go on, I guess, to quote president Uchtdorf again, well, I guess he's elder Uchtdorf now. If, I guess if I want to be technically, uh, technically correct here, but you know, he's, uh, I think he's my spirit animal. Um, but I, you know, I think he, has, he said something that I think encapsulates this idea and the manner in which, you know, I view the purpose of the gospel, of Jesus Christ. And, uh, to be honest, as I think back, I, I may have shared this in my last, the last episode, I'm not sure, but anyways, he said, well, the atonement of Christ is meant to help us all become more like Christ. It is not meant to make us all the same. Sometimes we confuse differences with sin. We can even make the mistake of thinking that, that because someone is different from us, it means that they are not pleasing to God. And this line of thinking leads some to believe that the church wants to create every member from a single mold. This would contradict the genius of God who created every man different from his brother, every son different from his father. Um, so I guess, once again, kind of just laying the groundwork um, for, for where I'm heading with this, but with all this in mind, you know, kind of shift, uh, shift the perspective a little bit and, and talk about, talk about truth, like, like I talked about in the beginning. And I think that, you know, maybe from a different, a different aspect of truth that maybe we're not used to hearing or talking about. And I think, uh, I think we most often, when we talk about truth, we, we talk about, you know, in absolute terms, we talk about, um, you know, kind of like the, the capital T truth um, and how it's, you know, we talk about how can we discern truth? How can we um, discern these principles? We're in this world of sh shifting values. It's, um, you know, kind of us against the world, I guess. And, and, and what can we do to keep ourselves and our faith strong and unwavering? Um, which, you know, I think there's definitely, you know, some merit in that perspective. However, if you read in Jacob 4, uh, 13 in the Book of Mormon, it describes truth a little differently. And it used the phrase, quote unquote, things as they really are. And and actually, if you look in Doctrine and Covenants 9324, it also states that that truth is knowledge of things as they are as and as they were and as they are to come. Um, so I, I guess to, to bring it around, I think that, you know, truth is not just you know, on, well, on the one hand, you could say truth is principles, theories, teachings. Um, but on the other hand, based on, you know, what Jacob and, and Doctrine and Covenant say that, 
um, it's, it's not necessarily things as they ought to be, but, you know, rather a recognition of, of reality. Um, so, so once again, not, not ignoring either aspect of truth, both are vital. And so I think a, perhaps a more complete way to think about truth is, you know, rather than focusing on one aspect or the it's to, to think of it as a coin, you know, with two sides. And so on the one, on the one side, we have the principles and the doctrines and on the other side is the, is the lived experience, the, the reality of the situation. And, you know, one, one is not, you know, necessarily more important uh, or better than the other. Um, they're just different aspects on both, both sides of that coin play a critical role in helping us to become our best selves and, and to grow closer to God. Um, I, I guess continue on this idea of truth is that one phrase that has perhaps been controversial at times is the, is the, in our day is the phrase speaking your truth. And, you know, I, I think a lot of that controversy actually comes is when we, you know, when we view it from the two ends, uh, two extreme ends of the spectrum. So on, on the one hand, there are those who, when they hear that term, they, they, they equate it with, you know, absolute moral relativism or, you know, unbridled self-expression. I can, you know, do whatever I want, you know, truth, truth is whatever I want it to be. Um, you know, and then the, uh, you know, certainly there are pitfalls, I think, you know, if we, if we do take, we can definitely take this to the extreme. Um, but I think there's also, on the other hand, there's also pitfalls in focusing too much on the other side of the spectrum of the, of the, on the principles side of things, you know, our, when, cause when we do that, I feel like our views can become, you know, pretty sugar coated and rose colored and we can offer oversimplified explanation to some of life's most vexing and challenge, you know, most vexing challenges. And so I think that, you know, in our ultimate quest for truth, I think, you know, we, we could be more mindful of our own personal limitations of the limitations of our individual perspectives and, and really uh, seek to balance and, and view both sides of that, that coin, as I mentioned. So, um, I mean, I guess, I guess I'll just pause there for a minute, Richard, if you had anything or if, if you'd like, I can continue, but. This is just great. So please continue. I've written down some notes. So I'll share at the end, but this is great. Continue, please. Okay. Um, so I think that, you know, in my, this is, you know, speaking from my experience and um, I'm assuming others might've recognized this or, or maybe they haven't, but I feel that in the, you know, the prevailing culture in our church, when, when we're confronted with those individual circumstances, you know, or situations or realities that people face, you know, sometimes those, those circumstances can challenge um, or maybe don't align with our traditions and norms. Um, I think when we're confronted with that, sometimes there's almost like an inherent knee jerk reaction or desire to, you know, to automatically defend and, you know, declare those principles to, to declare the, the truth, like we talked about. Um, no, but the thing is in doing that, uh, we may unintentionally, you know, and, and I want to emphasize the word unintentional. I, I think that's a pretty critical aspect that we often 
may not even you know be aware of what we're doing or be aware of the impact, but we unintentionally ignore or or shield ourselves from actual truth, which once again, it, when I say truth in this context, I mean things as they really are. And so, you know, so because of this, a lot of times in situations when we're seeking to offer words of counsel or hope and encouragement, it can actually have the opposite effect. And we may actually be sending hurtful and harmful messages to those that we're, we're actually, you know, trying to help. Um, you know, as I look back on my life, regrettably, I can think of uh, more than a few of my own situations where I've done that. And I mean, and. I don't know, I guess to this day, I'm sure, I mean, I guess it's something I'm more cognizant and aware of, but, you know, uh, even, even once in a while now I catch myself after the fact, you know, yeah, you know, that probably wasn't quite what I, what I should have said or thought. So, um, but anyways, as I look back, I can think of, you know, quite a few situations where I unintentionally caused pain, um, to others. And so, you know, I, I, and I guess I just want to share a few of those and I'm, and I'm sure we can all think of, uh, circumstances in our life where that's happened. But, um, so I just want to give a few specific examples. So just to, just to kind of illustrate it. So uh, I guess first off, you know, when, a when someone experienced the loss of a loved one, you know, a friend seeking to offer comfort may say things like that God needed that loved one more, or they had an, a greater work to do on the other side of the veil. Um, but in doing so, the friend, you know, who offering this comfort has may have overlooked the pain uh, and, and, and overlooked the need that that person had for that loved one in their life. Um, you know, and is, is that need not just, you know, just as great as, as any other, um, another one I think of is with, you know, with African-American members of the church, you know, and sometimes they're told that you know, and I, and I think this is happening less and less, but I'm, once again, I'm speaking, uh, over my life. Um, you know, I, every once in a while you do hear some things here and there, but yeah, you know, thankfully it's, you know, I think things are moving in the right direction, but, but, you know, sometimes they're told that one of the reasons that the church's previous priesthood ban, um, was that it was inspired of God and that it was instituted in order to protect African-American members. Uh, from racism in that, you know, we just have to trust um, that there was and, and is a higher purpose, you know, but, but in doing so we are likely ignoring actual racism that, you know, may have, or has occurred. And in some instances may still be occurring, you know, today. Um, <clears throat> you know, I think of the, a lesson, a Sunday school lesson uh, about the proclamation of the family, a member might state something like, you know, stable marriages are the bedrock of society. And one of the greatest downfalls of society is all of the single parents home, single, single parent homes, you know, without considering the single parents or the, or the people who were born out of wedlock that are sitting in that very room. Um, you know, one might state that the reason that men have the priesthood and women don't is that they're naturally not as righteous um, and that they need they need the priesthood to keep them in check. Um, or on the other hand, you know, we tell sometimes people will t say to women that their roles in the church are just as important as men and that they do hold the priesthood just in a, you know, indirect or different way. 
but we may not we may not know of actual sexism that that particular woman could have actually experienced at the hands of male church leaders or or other members um you know we also in doing so don't acknowledge the reality that you know men in many ways uh you know, women are limited in what they can do publicly in the church and and do not have the ability to perform priesthood ordinances. Now, with that, whether that is a positive or negative thing, that's usually a matter of, a matter of personal perspective. But once again, that doesn't change the reality that 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 is the, uh, the case, you know. Um, you know, when someone tells a gay member of the church that if they hold on and wait, that they will be made straight in heaven. And, you know, the message that they may unintentionally be sending is that, that this gay member is essentially flawed is a flawed homo, sorry, is a flawed heterosexual who is better off dead. And I'd like to thanks, thank my, uh, well, my virtual friends, they don't, they don't know that I'm their virtual friend, but I'd like to thank my virtual friends, Ben and Charlie, um, from the uh, questions from the closet podcast for opening, you know, my eyes and introducing me to those concepts. Um, or when, you know, someone comes out as LGBT, um, you know, and others might respond, well, you know, why do they have to share that? Why can't they just accept God's laws and keep that to themselves and you know, stop trying to influence other people and just, you know, just keep it. What's the point? Um and just one final example would be, you know, when we find out that a friend or a family member um, has disaffiliated themselves from the church, or, you know, we state that it's because they were lazy, they're deceived, you know, um, or they must have a secret sin or addiction. Um, or when we hear someone express questions, doubts, criticisms, and our response is, well, well, there's another one on the slippery slope on their way out. Uh, you know, we've always known in the last days. You know that the the people's hearts will fail them, just like it's always been prophesied. And I just never imagined it would be them. Um, you know, this is not meant to be a exclusive list or anyway. I'm sure we can think of many, many more. But I uh, just wanted to just wanted to share some of the ones that I've I've I have observed. And and like I said, in in situations in the past, have helped perpetuate those ideas myself. Um, but I want to. I guess I want to reiterate that many of these things are unintentional. They're well-intended. They are typically rooted, I believe, in sincere love and concern, um, as well as in, you know, people's righteous desires to strengthen, encourage, offer hope. Um, you know, what, and that's something that we should certainly strive for. But however, when we, if we do focus too much on our intentions, I mean, I think that's one thing that, um, I guess in many situations when someone is perhaps called out or confronted on certain things, kind of once again, another one of those knee jerk reactions is to talk about, well, that wasn't my intention. So that make you know, basically, well, that it's okay because that's not what I meant now. Um, rather than, you know, saying, oh, that wasn't my intention. And I recognize, thank, you know, thanks for pointing that out. I never thought of it that way. I never realized the harm I was causing. So, so yes, it's, I think it's okay to recognize intentions and we should recognize intentions, but at the same time, we can't ignore the impact of a word. I mean, this is like a car accident, right? You didn't intentionally cause a car accident, but you, you are still liable for your actions. You're still, you're, you're, 
your actions can still cause harm, right? And so it's it's kind of the same thing. That doesn't mean that it was intentional. Um, but I think in doing so, it also if we focus too much on our intentions and in an altruistic way, then you know it kind of further emboldens us and you know prevents us from having that you know true empathy and love. So I guess also when I think of these situations and some of these statements that at times are made, um, you know, I think the other problem is that they're not often rooted in reality. They're not, like we, we say that they're rooted in truth, they're rooted in principles, but in many ways they're actually not rooted in it it's a lot of times it's you know things that are speculative in nature. Um you know so that's it's not rooted rooted in reality as regards to the you know reality of the painful circumstances that people may be in, but also because you know those those statements or beliefs that we're stating you know are often uh speculative or oversimplified in nature and may not even be true for all we know um so like did God really need that that person more um you know did uh you know do we truly know what was in the heart of those who instituted the priesthood ban or or do we know what the precise nature of our relationships will be like at, in the afterlife um or you, you know you may be shocked to find out that you know those doubts and questions and criticisms that someone raised you may come to see that oh wait that was actually based on you know historical factual information and that maybe you just weren't hadn't been exposed to before so so and you know in saying that that's not implying that we necessarily have to agree or share those concerns or you know that we have to automatically support those you know support those who want to leave but only that you know i guess it's just that we can attempt to better understand on a personal level level their reasons and motivations without you know resorting to those false assumptions you know i.e the, the lazy deceived didn't read their scriptures didn't say their prayers enough um you know all those types of things so um you know and i guess another facet of this is that i also think that we as humans we have a, a strong tendency towards certainty you know we want to be able to have for ourselves but also give to others you know all the right answers and kind of fit everything neatly and nicely uh you know in a package so however i i found that in many instances the the most effective response is actually not having an, an answer at all um and just listening you know i i think and when i say listening i don't just mean active listening you know i think we you know not something that we learn in a you know i'm sure we many of us have taken a course or something on active listening and we've got the little checklist of behaviors and as we're listening we're going down the checklist and we're trying to you know use our body language and make her, making sure we're restating and rephrasing and you know all those things and and once again i'm not i'm not saying that's that's wrong or bad we should we should certainly strive for those things but it can become another um kind of robotic thing it can become uh in, inauthentic um and so just you know just truly listening and and mourning and empathizing um you know, with our, with our whole hearts, you know, without justification, without judgment, without a rebuttal, without having to give an explanation, you know, at times, you know, at times we might even be, want to share similar experiences that we went through in the past. Um, 
you know, and, and there is a time and place for that. I'm not saying we shouldn't do that, but I think, but we also have to use good judgment um, in doing that. And because at times when we, you know, I'm going to do that, we can often unintentionally shift the focus away from the person and put it kind of back, back on ourselves. Um, you know, I think if we, if we're not, you know, mindful of this, we can also, without realizing it, we can confuse uh, empathy with sympathy. Um, to me, it's like, um, well, I, I guess the difference would be that we, we still are putting ourselves in an elevated position, i.e. I'm here to help you. I'm come, I'm, you know, I, uh, it's kind of this, I guess, once again, unintentional, but it's kind of a a pity, I guess. Um, I guess I want to borrow some words from my good friend, Paul Lewis, um, in a, in a talk he gave, he said, Quote, feeling sorry for a person automatically generates feelings of pity, which is not helpful in situations when people are in pain. Empathy becomes the bridge that connects two people together on equal planes and creates a space for more genuine healing, understanding, and compassion. When we look down into someone else's trench and and feel sorrow and sadness, that's sympathy. But when we are willing to jump into that same trench and aren't afraid to get a little dirty if needed, that's that's empathy. Um, you know, as a, and as I think about our ultimate example of empathy, I think of, I think of Jesus Christ, you know, when we think of what Jesus went through in Gethsemane and what he experienced there, when he took upon, you know, all the sins, pains, you know, the infirmities, whatever, whatever word you want to put on it, um, of the entire human race. And I think that often when we think of that or talk about it, we, we view it in a very supernatural way um you know we often want to we often want to conceptualize we want to we want to break down the i don't know the mechanisms you know what is it what is it that allowed him to you know vicariously experience the weight of the world i think we almost uh can at times picture it kind of cartoonishly almost like this cloud or whirlwind of or this pillar of pain and suffering that you know projects out of the sky and and absorbed into him. Um, you know, but I think for me, um, and, and, and by the way, I'm not, I'm not trying to say that in a, in a negative way. I'm not saying that's wrong. I mean, we all imagine and conceptualize things. Um, but I think what, what I'm trying to get at is that we, yeah, we, we kind of make it so superhuman, but, you know, as incomprehensible as, what he went through is um, I, I personally don't see anything quote unquote superhuman about it. You know, in fact, I, I think that it was the most human thing um, that he ever did and that he ever went through in his life, you know, and, and I'm not trying to oversimplify or in, in any way diminish the magnitude of what he did, but I believe that beneath it all, his experience was grounded in empathy, you know, plain and simple empathy, un- unbridled empathy. So there was nothing, you know, active or compelling about what Jesus went through. It was perhaps the most passive act uh, in the history of, of humankind. You know, there was, there was no rebuttal. There was no defense. There was no explanation. It was completely unconditional. And it was just him. He was all alone, you know, sitting, 
mourning, grieving, all alone. I, I can't think of anything more human than than that. Um, so I guess to take that now and, and kind of apply it to ourselves that I I think that when we personally encounter the conditions and experiences of others, um, when they differ from our own, you know, what we see as may not fit the quote unquote ideal situation. And, and I, I hate to even use the word ideal um, because, you know, we, uh, uh, what, what is really ideal, but anyways, we have a, a tendency to avoid situations that make us uncomfortable. You know, maybe we can't relate to that situation. Maybe we don't know what to say. You know, I, th- And I think a lot of times it's, we are, we're afraid. We're afraid that if we validate or support or encourage others in their circumstances that, you know, that we are somehow enabling or condoning their choices or circumstances. Um, You know, perhaps we're afraid that somehow, you know, we are going to be held accountable before God for their situation. Um, But I think ultimately we've got to just let go of that fear. Um, You know, the atonement, (laughs) <laughs> the atonement was the ultimate uncomfortable situation and experience that I can think of, you know, and like Christ, when we encounter situations that make us uncomfortable, we usually want to pass that quote unquote bitter cup. We want to, we want to do away with it. We want to pass it by. Um, however, Christ, because of his love for us, he He chose to take that bitter cup upon him, um, upon himself. And I like, likewise, I, I I feel like we should be more willing to take those bitter cups upon ourselves and truly sit with others in their pain. Now, I want to make something perfectly clear, though. When I say that when I refer to bitterness, I'm not referring to the person. I'm not referring to their circumstances. I'm referring to the personal discomfort that we feel when we encounter um, those situations and those circumstances. So. That's that's the bitterness is 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 that uncomfortableness, and so that's what we need to be willing to take in and then and sit with, and and you know wrestle with and not and not pass it off. So, um, I guess just to I guess make things a little more personal for me, I guess to share kind of a little bit of my experience as to some experiences that I've had that. Um, have contributed that have contributed to the paradigm shift that I've experienced in my life. Um, I guess I've always considered myself to be a pretty open-minded person. I've considered myself to be one who is his, you know, has been aware of the one, aware of the marginalized, aware of the impacts, the aware of the hurt that's unintentionally caused. And, and I've always considered myself pretty mindful of that. Once again, I'm not saying I'm even in that was never perfect that, that, but I think, um, I think something that really changed my perspective was a couple of years ago, I watched some videos of some men 
who had experienced electroshock therapy, some gay men who had experienced electroshock therapy, and sorry, just to be clear, some interviews of men who had experienced it. It wasn't videos of it actually happening. And I think for me, that was the point in my life that I was like, I don't need to defend this. I don't need to justify this. I don't need to talk about historical context. I don't need to talk about whatever whoever's intentions were or anything like that. I don't need to. There, I can just say that this was wrong. And I can just say that that and acknowledge the pain that they went through. Now, I don't need to, you know, sit there and, and dwell in the past. I don't need to, I can, I can find ways to move onward and up, upward from that, but I don't need to sit here and, and, and find ways to justify this. And I think for me, that was, I guess, I've always, uh, I, I guess it's where my paradigm shift from what I would say a more apologetic um, position on things to a more, um, I guess, realist, um, for lack of a better word. I don't, I don't know what the right word is. Um, but anyways, I've, I've, if I had to pinpoint, I mean, I, I can see experiences I've had and they've all contributed. But I think if I were to pinpoint one thing, it was that experience. and. You know, it, it that's what helped me, I guess, overcome that urge that I had that I had to defend or justify things. Um, you know, I think another just want to share a couple other experiences. Um, you know, for example, when um I'm a I was a member of a Facebook group, not one that I actively participated in. It was a large, it was a large group, LDS centric um facebook group and after um you know after elder holland had given some remarks at BYU that um you know some people were hurt by and when in the, in this facebook group someone had asked for prayers in behalf of a friend who was gay and who was who was you know experiencing some pain because of it and i I guess my my response. Uh, sorry, in in this group there was a lot of chatter back and forth, and there was a lot of you know jumping to the defense of of what was said, and and my response was, you know, I'm not saying that we can't have that conversation. I'm not saying about you know about what he said and why it was said and all those things. I'm not saying we can't have that conversation. And that's, I'm not saying that that's not a valid conversation to have. All I'm saying is that someone was experiencing pain and, or a friend was experiencing pain and they had simply asked for prayers. They had simply asked for support. And the response was immediately to jump to the defense. And um, so, I, so I guess that was just an, another example. Um, and then I guess one third example I'd like to share um, is in some, I'm not sure how many people are familiar with this, but uh, Tyler, Tyler Glenn, he's the, he, he was the lead singer of the Neon Trees. 
uh, you know, served a mission in the church. Um, you know, what probably six, seven years ago, uh, came out um, publicly as gay. He had released a music video, um, and that you know expressed his anger and frustration with what he was going through and with his experience with the church. Um, and I'll be honest at that point in time, I was kind of in a different mindset and I, and I, you know, I, I wouldn't say that I was offended. I would say I wasn't necessarily comfortable. Uh, I would say that I was like, okay, uh, well, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah, I guess, you know, and, 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 you know, and I, I, I'm not one to really take offense just because when people, you know, criticize or whatever like that. Anyways. Um, you know, recently, a few, I can't remember when it was exactly, but I watched uh, a documentary called Believer that was made by Dan Reynolds. Um, and one of the most powerful experiences in that is when Dan Reynolds and and uh, and Tyler are talking and they're both, I mean, they're part of it is they're, you know, they're there together and they're singing. Uh, I can't remember what the hymn, it was a, one of the primary songs together. I think it was Love One Another Maybe not. I'm, I could be wrong. But anyways, uh, hearing, listening to Tyler and listening to him share about why why he felt compelled that he had to leave the church because of the pain that he was facing. And, you know, I, I think it's, once again, it's easy to oversimplify things. It's easy to say, you know, well, you just need to endure you need to hold on. You need to, you know, just just trust and and all those things. But and it's and I think in, and I think we if we turn this into a matter of faith and endurance and turn a blind eye to to that legitimate pain that people are feeling, I I feel like it's easy to say, oh well once again it was well he must have stopped reading his scriptures or saying his prayers or or whatever it may be right whatever kind of traditional answer that we want to give but like when you listen to tyler and you hear him share about he's like i love the church i have a testimony of the book of mormon i you know i served a two-year mission i you know it it was not a you know so yes if you look at that music video it's quite easy to see like oh well you know he just you know whatever doesn't like the church anymore and 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 just to be clear, I'm I'm giving my perspective. I in no way want to speak for or in behalf of Tyler or anything like that. If Tyler, if you're listening out there, it's not my intent. So I've if I've misrepresented anything, I I completely apologize. This is just my I'm just trying to share my experience and and thank you for sharing that. Um but anyways, just to, to see the wrestle and to see that, you know, these people, whether it's a gay because of, or whether it's because of faith crisis, whatever it may be, these people that feel squeezed. I'm so sorry. I had no idea I was going to get this emotional. When I see these people who feel squeezed out of the church 
for one, whatever that reason may be, I just feel like it's so unnecessary. And if we could just stop and really just understand why people feel the way they do and 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 just set aside that need for justification and defense i just i don't know i, I just i once again i'm not trying to oversimplify it but at the end of the day i don't think it's that complicated it's i mean it's it's difficult it takes effort but it, i don't think it's uh i i think it really goes back to those fundamental teachings uh, and the example of our Savior Jesus Christ. And so if, if we can just kind of focus back on that. Um, anyways, I think I'm I'm hopefully past the emotional part. <laughs> um, once again, I apologize. I did not see that coming. Um, but in closing, I want to share uh, John chapter 8, verse 32, which reads, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. As I mentioned in the beginning, I you know I really believed that a more complete definition of truth isn't just about correct principles, but it also includes you know seeing things as they really are. On the one hand, a, a knowledge of true teachings and principles, you know that's that's enabling. Um, that's gives us you know that gives us power, I guess. Um, but although it's that that knowledge. Um, and power isn't channeled and implemented in a way that I believe Christ would want us to, that knowledge and, and power can unintentionally become, you know, self-serving and superficial. Um, throughout my life, and especially over the last couple of years, I've come to see that perhaps an even greater sense of power and freedom comes from seeing things as they really are. There is there is power in acknowledgement and ownership. There's power in authenticity and vulnerability you know for example there are some parts of our church history and, and even parts of our current practices um that are not very glamorous um you know and I, and I like to refer back to the elephant analogy i like to refer to these as the quote-unquote the elephant's rear end um you know and rather than justify and diminish i found that there's something very freeing about acknowledging and owning our individual and collective weaknesses um, in regards to our treatment of, of marginalized people. Um, you know, when you think about the, the elephant's rear end, it it's not a less legitimate part of the elephant. I mean, it's still a useful part of the elephant. It's not the most glamorous. It's not the most, uh, you know, but, but, it's it's just as much a part of the elephant as any other part right and so rather than try and pretend it doesn't exist or it's not there you know we can just put it um in its in its context i guess um so i'm not suggesting that we need to put undue focus on these issues um you know that have been controversial that have caused pain um but i like to compare it to driving um and, and to arrive safely at our destination, we need to keep one eye on the rearview mirror. And um, but we need to, you know, if we focus too much on the rear view or looking out the back window, uh, it's pretty hard to move forward, and we're probably going to crash. Um, you know, we should we should also plan ahead when we're driving and making a trip. We should plan ahead to 
foresee future obstacles and see what we can do to prevent accidents or mishaps that have happened in the past. But where our primary focus should be is on our immediate surroundings and what we can do in the here and now. And, um, you know, what, what can we do in the here and now to keep moving forward and to arrive, you know, at our destination? Um, no, I think that as we're willing to acknowledge our own limitations and realities, and I speak both individually and collectively, whether that's in your personal life or whether uh, as a church, collectively, even over the pulpit as needed, um, we can help uh, We can help set others free um, by honoring and acknowledging their paths in life, even if that path doesn't conform with your personal views and circumstances. You know, I hope that we can trust others in their personal revelation. You know, honestly, what do I, as a straight white man, know what it's like about to be gay or a woman or an African-American, you know, someone who might feel marginalized in the church? Now, that doesn't mean I can't have a perspective. That doesn't mean I can't have an opinion. And, and I do have my own opinions and views on things. But I need to be willing to acknowledge the limitations of my perspective because it's, it is secondhand and it's from a distance. Um, so, you know, at the end of the day, I have to be very cautious about imposing or how strongly or in what context um, I put those views out there. Um, um, I, it was president Nelson. I think was, yeah, actually it was president Nelson who said this when he was elder Nelson at the time. And he made a, point, a poignant statement, um, and I'm going to paraphrase slightly, but he said, general authorities teach general rules. Individual exceptions are up to individual agency and accountability, end of quote. Um, you know, and I think, I think that quotes like that or that idea is something that we can really wrestle with and struggle with as church members of that, you know, that just, you know, if we have a, an, what we see as an exception or something that doesn't fit, what, you know, how does that work? How does my personal revelation drive and how do I do this? You know, we, we hear about, you know, follow the prophet, follow the prophet, follow the prophet. Do not question all those things. Yet in our personal circumstances, there's so many other factors that go into these, you know, decisions and how we choose to conduct ourselves and live our lives and how we want to move forward. So. Um, but I think that, you know, all of this is not at odds with the gospel and, and even the restored gospel, even, you know, um, in Doctrine and Covenants, section 93, verse 30, it reads, all truth is independent in that sphere in which God has placed it to act for itself. Um, you know, and so just as with the elephant analogy, what does this mean? Um Sorry, just as with the elephant, does this mean that truth is completely relative and that we can just pick and choose as we please? Uh, no, not necessarily. But just as just as each planet has been placed in its own orbit, each star has been placed in its own orbit and has its own uh, reckoning of time and season. Um, so it is with, you know, that's how it is with each of us. Um, we have our own paths. We have our own circumstances. And any reckoning of that, you know, is, is strictly and ultimately between us and, and God. And so, and as we seek the guidance of our heavenly parents, um, you know, they, I know that they'll, they'll show us the way.
and they'll help us know what to do. And, you know, at times that may be at odds with certain things that, that we hear. Um, and, but ultimately, you know, that's, that's, you know, what we're taught in the church is that ultimately the point of the church is to bring us closer to God, to build that personal relationship. And, you know, that's our opportunity when we pay, when we face those complex decisions that we, that we need to make. Um, so I, I guess I, I think that, well, certainly the the gospel plan is one of improvement and progression. I hope that we can provide space in the church where everyone feels like they can come as they are, that they can have an equal seat at the table. You know, like, like you've often said, Richard, there's no, uh, no behavioral hurdle to, to get into the chapel doors. I don't know if that was the wording you used, something like that. Um, you know, and that's in both our individual interactions as well as the environment that we create at, at, at church, in the chapel, in the cultural hall, and in our classrooms. Um, that people come and don't feel like they are a topic for debate or that they have to sit bottled up in the corner. Um, you know, for me, this is what a huge component of what it means to be a Zion like people. I know of the, I know of the love that God has for all of his children. And I hope that, you know, each of us can emulate that in, in our lives. You know, I, I, a lot of times I think when it comes to things, we, it's easy to say the we focus a lot on ministering and we talk a lot about the personal ministering and what, what needs to happen behind closed doors in your personal conversations. But to me, ministering is so much more than that there's congregational ministering how do we how do we create a a place where people can come and be their their true selves um and feel at home and not feel you know that they they can sit in with full confidence at any any seat they want to sit in the chapel um you know and 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 kind of have that kind of experience you know cuz it you know, in, in my experience, that's often not the case. I, I know that there are some places where it does happen, but I think um, that's that's uh, often not the case. So I guess just in closing, um, I wanted to introduce myself again. Um, but I want this time as I share my experiences and I introduce myself, I'd like you to, to c- compare to your perception of me now versus what you might have thought of me at the very beginning. Once again, what I told you in the beginning was true. It was 100% correct. Um, But I'd like to share with you uh, a little bit more. So uh, I guess my, so my name's Taylor Smith. I was born and raised in the church. I grew up in uh, Southern Alberta, Canada. As I, as I said, I was born to loving parents and I was, I would say that I was raised in a home with a gospel was more lived than preached. Um, but, you know, I did, I, I did have good parents. I was raised in the church. They, they raised me well and have a great debt of gratitude to them for all that they did for me and the great life that they gave me. Um, but my parents divorced when I was, uh, I think I was 17. Um, you know, I, at 19, I served a mission in Denver, Colorado. I was extremely disappointed with my call, like extremely. Uh, 
I really can't put a finger on it. I mean, I really wanted to serve foreign. And yes, I understand why I was bothered, but it really, really irked me. And it, and honestly, even throughout my whole mission, and I, I never really came. I mean, I came to love my mission, but I was, <laughs> there was still a little bit of the what if uh, in the back of my mind if I could have went somewhere else. Um, and, uh, you know, I guess I never really even came to terms that it probably took till about 10 years after my mission, um, when I wrote a personal essay about it, um, at, as a school assignment. Anyways, uh, while I was on, on my mission, I got dear John, uh, by, by the girl I thought I might marry. And when I, when, uh, that I thought I might marry after I got back, but, you know, I, I cried myself to sleep on on my pillow without the other missionaries in the room, in the very room, even having a clue. When I got back home, I had no money, no car, no real plans for life, including marriage. But about five months or five months after I got home, an amazing woman came into my life and we were married four months after we met, even though I still had no plans, no money or anything like that. Um, But at least after we got married, I had a car. Because my wife brought a 1986 Ford Tempo uh, into the marriage. Um, and, and in addition to the car, she also brought a two-year-old daughter into my life. And I was blessed to become an insta-dad. Um, it took me a while to figure out what I wanted to do with my life. So I didn't f- start college until I was 26 and had three kids. I finished college at age 32 with five kids. And although... Our time in Utah, while I was at BYU, are some of the fondest memories of my life. I I struggled my way through school. Uh, I was I was in the honors program because I thought it was a pretty cool credential, but I really struggled with it. Almost, I mean, I just think of the uh, and, and almost gave up on it. Um, I I failed the class, barely passed quite a few others. And I just remember one night, late on a Friday night, I remember walking across campus all alone in the dark. Uh, and I could hear everyone else around me running running around having fun. And I had just come out of the testing center knowing that I had failed the test miserably. And I called my wife to let her know where I was at um, and, and just immediately broke down because uh, I was so overwhelmed. I, I pulled myself together to get myself to the library in time to scramble and finish an essay that was due at midnight and submitted at 11.59, only to make the hour-long bike ride home on a nearly pitch-black road because the buses were no longer running. After we moved out here to Maryland, I, I uh, went through a, a seven-year bout of nearly crippling anxiety, but I didn't even realize till about year five what anxiety even was. Um, and then the, the uh, and about a year after we moved here, I was really struggling at my job at a position that I was unwillingly put into in the first place and was almost fired. I, you know, I left my executive's office and went straight to my cubicle to, to call my mentor at the company, um, who was also a, a fellow BYU grad. But I had to end the call because, you know, so that my coworkers around me couldn't hear me sobbing. Um and then when we first got here, we were heavily in debt on the verge of bankruptcy. Uh, I hauled our trash. <laughs> I hauled our trash to the dump in our minivan because I couldn't even afford the $7 extra 
for trash service uh, in our budget. Um, you know, and I can tell you from that experience that that is not a pleasant experience in the summertime when I had to stick my head out the window and keep myself from gagging. Um, you know, we, we struggled financially for years and, and we didn't own a house until a couple of years ago. And the reason why is because we could never afford it. Uh, I do like, I do like seeing the end result of our home improvement projects, like I mentioned. Um, and, you know, and once again, we, you know, you have the image of what you see on home improvement shows, but, and, and I like that I can save money by doing the work myself because of my skills, but I'm often completely worn out after a 10 to 12 hour workday and then staying up late to finish the projects. Um, we're in the middle of the immigration process. Uh, well, I, I guess we're towards the end now, but it's been a long process. Uh, due, due to some deadlines that were not met before my oldest daughter's 21st birthday and because of, um, you know, some someone who dropped the ball in 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 handling some things uh my my daughter uh had to move back to canada she had to leave the country uh with no path forward to immigration because she's no longer eligible to be a dependent um um on our on our application even though she's lived in the us since she's 8 years old um in the last couple of years i would say that my faith in god and in the church is not as simple as it used to be Although I still see the blessings of the gospel and, and know that in many cases it was my faith, but it was my faith that carried me through the times I've just described. I, I guess I've in recent years begun to see more clearly some things that have caused me to question the, as I like to say, the quote unquote flip chart version of the gospel and the, and the church culture that I went by previously. And I, and I can see that there were certain Things that I sugarcoated and felt a need to defend, as I talked about earlier, but I'm now more comfortable with, you know, just seeing them as they really are and living with uncertainty. And in, in doing so, I've, I've had to become more willing to sometimes sit in paradox, frustration and pain. And anyways, uh, knowledge, knowledge lies in answers, but faith relies on questions. And in some ways, I probably have more questions than I ever have, but ultimately my faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ is still intact. And living with those concerns, questions, and frustrations has required me to have a higher level of faith than I feel like I ever have. Thank you, Taylor. <clears throat> um, sometimes don't quite know what to say after a really meaningful, um, honest sharing, including that personal story of just your own journey that'll resonate with a lot of listeners that are having really tough, tough financial situations and feel like they're behind their peers. Um, that was, and it was so brave of you just to be so vulnerable and open. I think vulnerability breeds vulnerability. So that last section, like the whole thing was just terrific. Listeners, I was so moved just personally speaking. I've glanced at this talk prior to the podcast, but it's something about hearing it from Taylor and his heart and his goodness and his emotion as he talks about um, sort of going from this theoretical, I love everybody, to um, um, in his heart loving everybody and recognizing the journeys that some Latter-day Saints have had are really painful. And most Latter-day Saints, when that hits their heart, feel sometimes the same way Taylor does. Um, so, um, listeners, I 
some would say sailors on the slippery slope to leaving the church, <laughs> just with um, his view of, of things. To me, he's on the slippery slope to staying in the church. Um, I, I think that, you know, Taylor's younger self and my younger self and where we both are is different, but and not everybody goes through what kind of this deconstruction, reconstruction that Taylor and I have done. It may not be exactly the same between us, but often that's the way forward for Latter-day Saints. So if there's things you've heard that are a little triggering or you don't agree with, or you feel Taylor didn't defend the church enough or our leaders, I would try, I'd invite us all to give space for Latter-day Saints. Everything Taylor shared in this podcast was consistent with our doctrine. He didn't go rogue um, on anything. In fact, he used scriptures and um leader quotes to talk about this really tender topic of creating Zion and um, creating space. So creating space is one of the greatest gifts you can give, give to other Latter-day Saints. I love, here's some things I wrote down. First of all, shout out to your wonderful wife, Judy, as you did at the end. And I think it's Judy, if I missed saying that, um, yeah. for the um, wonderful marriage you have. And I'm glad you found her shortly after your mission. I love your idea of perspective versus being right or wrong and just the clarification you made about that at the beginning. I love DNC 93, 24. I've never read that um, in the context that you shared it, just that truth continues to happen. I'm paraphrasing it right now as I'm looking back at your notes and as they are to come. So that gets consistent with um, ongoing revelation. Um, I, back to this slippery slope idea, I was recently talking to a BYU professor, and this professor's connected with BYU students, and I asked this professor just, because we've talked in the past that the amount of BYU students in a, quote, faith crisis significantly increased from the past, and I just talked to this professor a little bit about that group of people that I care so much about, and the professor talked about, you know, they're looking for a model forward. Um, because the simplistic model doesn't work for them anymore. And they're not saying that people that still that works for them. And I don't use simplistic to communicate people are simplistic in their thinking or not thoughtful. It's just some people need a more complex model to handle all the complexities of our history and where we are in current spaces because they actually want to continue to stay. And you gave that to them, Taylor. Um, that's why your voice and your perspective um, is so helpful. And it's sort of a way forward for other Latter-day Saints that are seeing different parts of the elephant and seeing some of the complicated things. But so much of what you gave was grace to others that may not see things exactly the way you do. And so you're not asking everybody to feel the way you do. Um, no. That we really clear on that. Um, but you're trying to teach a principle of creating space as we create Zion, and then we can better mourn, bear, and comfort and use our differences and not shame others for opening up about historical or current concerns, but give them space. And that's why a talk like this in a congregation is brave. And it obviously in your circle, people know they can talk to you and your wife about the realities of their life. Um, I'd like to link in the show notes to your talk. I'll put it on a Dropbox. Is that okay? Yeah, that's no problem at all. So look in the show notes. If you actually want to reread, I think he didn't read this word for word. At times you kind of added some content, 
So you may have heard a golden nugget that's not actually in the script, but most of what he shared was actually word for word. And so I think there's some listeners that may want to reread your talk, potentially use it um, in their own talk or in their own discussion with people, because it's really helpful. Um, Yeah, I did. I did for the most part, try to read because I learned from my last experience uh, doing, doing with Dason that it was, it was better to (laughs) rather than have bullet points. So it'll give you less things to edit. So um, I just thought this was a great podcast. I was just so moved multiple times, especially when you got emotional talking about the realities of people that have had difficult experiences and their desire to still believe in the church and um, find value in the church, but it's just painful at times. And I thought that was just terrific. So um, we're going to, you talked a little bit about race. And uh, we recorded a podcast that I think will be released after Taylor's podcast. Um, and it's, it's a book called, De- at Desert Book, called Let's Talk Race and the Priesthood by Paul Reeve. And he's a historian, and he's written a book about race and the priesthood. And as I listened to his podcast and has read part of this book, it's powerful. It's written from the perspective of faithful Latter-day Saint and historian. And if you really want to better understand the journey of Black Latter-day Saints and some of the things that um, Taylor suggested, you may have better skills to talk about this space and to, and to honor the pain um, that Black Latter-day Saints felt. Not just Black men who didn't have the priesthood, but Black women um, and men who wouldn't have the chance to go to the temple, even though they believed in the temple. And he talks about how this wasn't what had happened at the beginning of the church, um, pretty clearly understanding that and why it sort of became part of our teachings. And and he shares his own opinion about, was this the will of God or not the will of God? And I'll let you listen to the podcast and read the book for more on that. Any things else you'd like to share, um, Taylor, before we sign off? Yeah, I guess just as you were talking, something that came to mind is, you know, yeah, I want, I want to be clear to anyone who out there is listening, you know, because, you know, yes, I did call out some specific circumstances directly. Um, but, you know, to me, that is not a criticism. That is not, once again, that that's kind of a, our inherent desire. If there's something that makes us feel uncomfortable that we, we can misinterpret it as criticism. I hope you can see that in my sharing, I was speaking objectively and relaying what happened. Now, yes, there was probably some of my own feelings and whatever uh, mixed in there, you know, at, and, and at the end of the day, like I said, the, the point of, you know, even with the um, experience with Elder Holland, the point wasn't, hey, this this was not about <laughs> a discussion or debate for or against what he said. It was about the fact that someone was looking for empathy and they didn't or and looking for a prayer and didn't get it because of that. So, so I, I just don't want anything like that to get lost in the fact that I did call out specific circumstances. And my only intention in calling out specific circumstances is that it's, I, I don't want the things that I'm talking about once again, to just become principles. It's like, I'm, I want to connect this, to real life. I want to see that, like, no, this, this is, you know, cause 
you know, we can say there's a lot of things that we can say in our culture. Like, yeah, you know, one thing I often hear is there is space for you. Yes, there's a place for you in the church. And I and I get that. And I believe that. And I believe that's the principle. I believe that's the intent. I believe that's desire. But we have to acknowledge that for some people that that is not like, look at the example that I shared with Tyler Glenn. Like, does he we we can have good intentions all day long. And and once again, I just want to be very clear that everything that I shared was not for or against um certain you know issues. That's not the point of me sharing those things. Um I wanted to simply share my you know my personal journey and uh you know and I hope I hope that at the end of the day that that people can see that and there's nothing you know uh that you know was too triggering that you know caused cause anyone to to be angry or frustrated about what I said. Um, but you know, at the end of the day, I understand that we all have different perspectives and and that's okay. Um, you know, and I think to, to your other point was that, you know, I'm, even though the things that I've expressed is it's, um, there's not, there's not an attempt on in any way to, to silent this the way i explain it that i've explained this to some people is kind of this i i will for lack of a better word and i'm not trying to overgeneralize but just for the sake of discussion i'm going to say traditional so some of this traditional mindset thinking once again i'm not saying i'm not saying that in a negative way we already have that in the church a lot of it and that's okay i'm not i'm not saying Let's do away with it. I'm not saying that you need to go away and be quiet. All I'm saying is that there's another half of the church here, another half of the group here. And obviously, I don't know if it's actually half, speaking metaphorically here. But there's this other other portion of church members who are sitting and suffering in silence um, and are feeling squeezed out and are being and not just feeling squeezed up, but are being squeezed out. And so I'm not saying that, you know, we need to do away with this traditional thinking so we can replace it with this. Once again, I want to, I hope that we can create space where we have room for all of that. So I I just, you know, want to make that, I just wanted to clarify that. And then, you know, also with the, uh, in, in light of what I said about, you know, some of those things that I said are were not inherently meant as criticism, as once again, simply acknowledging. And I think that at the end of the day, if we can, as a church, be more open to those, you know, different viewpoints, different ways of thinking without, you know, where, where we don't have to, um, you know, we don't have to feel where, where people don't have to feel that they're squeezed out. Cause I th- I think with, and like your point about the whole, you know, different ways of thinking that it's, I'm not saying it's overly simple or that people aren't thoughtful. I just think that for this up and coming generation, especially for the younger generation, they are going to think about things differently. Once again, not right, not wrong just a different a different perspective and some of the and some of the traditional for lack of a better word ways of thinking and saying things is is not going to is not going to work for them and it's not because 
oh, well, they're the rising generation and they're just naturally more rebellious and they're just, you know, all those kinds of things we hear. It's no, the, there, there is, there is a different mindset. And that's simply because of, you know, the, the culture and environment that they're raised in. And so on the one hand, we can, I, I guess at the beginning, what I said was, I think one thing I said was, you know, there's the personal aspect of this, but also as a church, how can we create Zion? And it's when we let go of that us versus them, Babylon versus Zion, the slippery slopers versus the 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 true blues, whatever label we want to put on it. Um, and I guess in calling out and acknowledging some of those things is once again true to in harmony with what I was saying is that it's a you know, acknowledgement of things that there are, people are leaving the church because of these things. Once again, that's a neutral statement. That is not a, I'm not blaming anyone. I'm not saying anything, but there's a, as a matter of fact, there are a lot of people leaving the church over these issues. So we can either peel back the bandaid and see what we can do to help address that, or we can double down. And I hope that we can find, once again, valuing all perspectives, whether it's, you know, different personality types, different gender groups, different generations, whatever. Like, once again, this all goes back to what President Uchtdorf has relayed about, you know, that the gospel is not meant to make us all the same. And in the end, I think that's really what I I hope, Um, you know, aside from the you know, the personal empathy, but once again, at a, at a more general level, how can we, how can we use this to help heal uh, the divide, some of the divide that I, that I'm witnessing and hope that we can all just come together. That's really my prayer. Thank you. Thank you so much, Taylor Smith. And, um, listeners, let's just all act on our impressions and how we can do better. Um, one of the things I love about this platform is sometimes we have famous authors or famous people in our faith community that we know, but most of the time we have people we don't know. <laughs> um, and um, I just am struck by um, when I hear somebody like Taylor talk, just how hard he's worked on this subject and um, the mission he served, um, the work he's done professionally to get where he is, but then the work he's done in his study of the gospel, church leader talks, the scriptures, listening to people that are in different circles than Taylor. And it's what we're asked to do as Latter-day Saints and part of our baptism covenants, because then we can better bear more in comfort. And often that takes, it, it takes, re, it takes growth. Paul Reeve talks about in this podcast, I've been mentioning, sometimes we actively need to unteach what we've taught or unlearn what we've learned. And that's part of becoming a Zion people. So this is just a beautiful personal story. And I think it's reflective of a lot of Latter-day Saints that aren't part of any marginalized group. You're not, <laughs> um, except maybe you're a Canadian in America. <laughs> I hope we treat you well. Um, I never thought of that way, but yeah, I guess so. <laughs> <laughs> I'm teasing a little bit. Um, you just certainly pass for an American. Um, yeah. So there's, um, but I just think. Um, I think of the gathering of Zion. I think of the gathering of Israel listeners, and it shifted for me. President Nelson talks about this a lot, and I've always thought of that 
couple praying for the missionaries to knock on their door in that faraway country. I still think of that, but then I think of um, our own members, um, the Tyler Glens, the people that you've talked about. They're Israel, and it's our job to gather them. And we may need different tools that Tyler's talking about that aren't the same tools to bring that couple on the faraway land in the church. And and so this is why these kind of stories are important. And often it's things we need to unlearn or actively unteach ourselves or others in our circle of influence so we can do better. So once again, the only thing in the show notes will be a link to this, to Tyler's talk, a Taylor's talk. Now I'm talking about Tyler Glenn and Taylor Smith and getting them confused. Um, but thank you, Taylor Smith. And this is Taylor Smith and Richard Osler signing off on another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love. <laughs>